40. We'll be spending most of our time in that spot, Psalm 40. Good to see everyone this morning, and I appreciate Tuck leading those songs. Uh, A couple of songs that that I requested and asked him to lead so that we could tie together what we're going to do uh, in this hour this morning with our song service, and I appreciate him uh, obliging me in that. Uh, It's good to see everyone this morning, and uh, I'm going to do my best to be perky and keep your attention so that we can can all wake up uh, and uh, have a nice uh, uh, study here in this hour. Psalm 40, verse 1, the text says, Psalm 40 and verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. My question to you is, how do you tell your story? If somebody wants to know something about you or kind of get to know you, How do you tell about yourself? There are a lot of different ways we do that. The ones that come to my mind, most of all, are are one is family. You know, we'll start and say, well, I'm the youngest of three sons. My parents are divorced. You know, I have a stepfather. You know, that's kind of the story of it. Now my brother's living in other places. Okay, so we we tell the story of our family. Sometimes we tell the story of our lives by, by talking about education and career, you know, well, I went to school over here, I started doing this, I moved here, and then I changed careers maybe or something like that. Sometimes we tell it in terms of geography. We say, you know, I grew up here, and then I moved here, and then I moved here. You know, so we go through the story, and we try our, we're trying to tell something about our lives, but we frame it in different ways. But there are always, when we tell our story, there are always events that we know are the important events we need to tell people about. Uh, maybe that's about when we met our mate. Or maybe that's about, well, there was a, some event or something that was said or done that made me decide, I don't want to do this with my life. I want to do this instead. I want to move over here. Maybe it's about military service. And, you know, that was when that happened. I know that if I'm going to tell my story, I need to say something about that. But whatever it is, there are pivotal events that shape our story. In fact, some events are so pivotal that they completely reshape the whole story so that now the story revolves around that one event, where before that event we might not have even known what our story was about. Now, in this psalm, what has happened is David has experienced something so big that it is going to rewrite his story. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So the Lord drew me out of the pit, out of the bog, and put me on a rock. You get the idea. Sometimes we even sing, based on that story of Peter sinking in the water, I was sinking deep in sin. Sometimes we read about Jeremiah, who was down in the cistern sinking in the mud, and they have to kind of lift him out of the mud. Okay, That idea of of being down and sinking down, and it's a desperate situation. But most of all, you can't climb out. You can't save yourself. And so David says, I was in the bog, and he lifted me up and put my feet on dry ground, on secure ground. And then verse 3, it says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So he put a new song in my mouth. Now my song, now my story is about praising God. Now other people will see what God has done for me and they will be blessed by it. And so we've sung a song this morning. Actually, we've sang two songs that really 
center on the idea of having a new kind of story because of the salvation of God. We sing Blessed Assurance, where we sing, This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. We sang, He gave me a song. And that's really what I want to focus on. He gave me a song. And the idea here is simply this. When we are saved by God, it rewrites our story. It changes us so that now our story is different. That's what happens to David here. Now I have a new story to tell. It's not the story just of some shepherd boy who happens to become king. It's not just the story that involves Goliath. Now there is a new peril. I was down in the miry bog and God rescued me. And when we experience the rescue of God, we have a new song to sing. That's what David is saying. So I want to take a few minutes just looking through this psalm, and then I want to take a few minutes looking at how this happens in other characters' lives in the Bible. Because David is not the only one who has a rewrite of his story because of something God does for him. There are a number of people we see in the pages of Scripture who now experience God's salvation, and suddenly we see that was the story. Then they might not have even realized it before. So first of all, let's just look at this psalm for a few minutes. And we want to talk about this from the perspective of when God saves, what do I do? What's my response? Because I think that's a good way to outline the psalm. How does David respond to the salvation of God? And the first thing is that when God saves, I give thanks and praise. That's the first eight verses. Let's start in verse 1. Psalm 40 and verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud and those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. In verse 1 he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. I found it interesting that the text actually says, I'm not a big Hebrew guy, but in the Hebrew it says, I waited, waited for the Lord. Just waited, repeated. Okay? Now our versions say, I waited patiently, which I guess gives you the sense, but doesn't it really emphasize it to you to say, I waited and waited for the Lord. So David had a period where he needed salvation, and he had to trust that God was going to come through for him. He says in verse 1, he inclined to me and heard my cry. So not only was it waiting, just in the sense that, well, nothing's happening, I'm just going to sit here, but it is crying out to God in that time of waiting, asking for God's help. And then God answers in verse 2, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I, w I wish that we had more information about this. David's words are vague, and it seems to me that maybe they're deliberately vague, Remember, this is the songbook of Israel, the Psalms. And when David writes a psalm, he is fully expecting it to be sung, perhaps by people that are not him. So it could be that this is one of those, you just fill in the blank for your own tragedy, your own need, your own desperate cry to the Lord, your own time where you had to wait, wait for the Lord. And what God has done for you. But whatever it is, David says, I'm not going to give more information about it, but I just want to tell you that God did this for me. So verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now his song, his new song, the song God gave me is a song of praise. Now it's a song that's not really about me, it's about God. Now it's a song that's not my story, it's how I now fit into God's story. 
Really, this is all about God. I didn't realize it. I thought it was about me and my desperate situation, but I end up singing about God instead of myself. I'm just incidental in the story of how God always saves his people. I'm just the next chapter because this is who God is. Now, for me, it was bigger than that, but then I zoom out and I realize, no, this is what God's been doing all along. And so he says in verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. So what kind of song? The kind of song he sings is, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And he knows it. He knows there's a blessing. This is not some vague thing, you know. It'll probably be good for you. He says, no, I know is a blessing to those who trust in the Lord. I've experienced the blessing. I've seen it. I have experienced the salvation of God firsthand, and now I want you to. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that by saying there is a blessing that I have experienced in this. Uh, Verse 6 to 8 is interesting. Look at verse 6 to 8. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written to me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. This is an interesting text because it appears David is so overjoyed at his deliverance that he wants to offer God something, some kind of sacrifice. But evidently, that's not what God's wanting. From verse 6, he says, you have not delighted in these things. You've not required these things. You don't want me to give you some great gift. Instead, what you want, verse 8, is for me to do your will. I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. What's interesting about this text is that this is a text in the the book of Hebrews that is applied to the Messiah, to Jesus. And instead of the word in verse 6, an open ear, it says, a body you have prepared for me. It's a very interesting text. I'm not sure David had all of that in his head. I'm not sure David knew that all of this was going to talk about the Messiah in some future time. But I believe what David is saying is, my response to such a great salvation is I want to give full obedience to God. I don't just want to do a small thing like a sacrifice. I don't want to do a temporary one-time thing. He says instead in verse 8, I've come to do your will and your law is in my heart. I'm a changed man because of what you've done for me. So this is not like Pharaoh. Do you remember Pharaoh? When things got bad in Egypt and the Here's the flies, and and here's the frogs. And he says, oh, Moses, I've sinned. Everything's terrible. Please just talk to God for me. I'm so sorry. And then Moses says, okay, I'll talk to God. And and the plague goes away. And then what happens to Pharaoh? Immediately, he goes back, oh, never mind, I changed my mind. As soon as the pressure's off, it's back to normal. And sometimes we get that way, right? We get into a desperate situation, and we, we may say, Oh, wow, I have been neglecting my relationship with God. I need God. I realize that. I'm going I'm to ask God. Maybe I'll even kind of bargain with God, you know. If you, if you spare me, I'll do blank. This is not David. David is saying, now that the deliverance has come, it's time for me to give full devotion to God. I want to obey. I want his law in my heart. I want to be a servant of God from now on. So... When God saves, I give thanks and praise. You see that in the first eight verses. All right, the second part is when God saves, I tell other people. Verses 9 and 10. Look in verse 9. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness 
from the great congregation. Isn't it interesting how many times he repeats that? I did not keep it quiet. I did not keep it quiet. I did not keep it quiet. Okay? So it would be one thing to say, I want to tell everybody. It's something entirely different to say repeatedly, I didn't not say anything. Makes you wonder why that would be such a point of emphasis, right? Here's my thought. This is just my thought. You can take it or leave it. When I read that, my thought is, sometimes we're not super excited about telling other people about what God has done for us. And the reason it seems to me is that very often those stories make us look bad. When you tell a story about what God has done for you, you have to start with the terrible pickle I got myself into. You have to start with how I couldn't save myself. There was nothing I could do. Maybe, a, you know, if that's a financial disaster, maybe it's my fault. I don't want to tell that story, right? Do you? Okay. Or maybe, you know, my marriage was in trouble and it was because of some things that I had done and I needed God to save me, but I don't want to tell anybody about that because that'd be kind of embarrassing. Or maybe it's that, you know, we would rather tell the story in a way and kind of frame it in a way that makes us look good. So we say, well, you know, we had some hard times, but we just, we figured it out. We powered through. You see, that didn't really have anything to do with God, does it? So, so the idea of telling the story of God's salvation in a way that glorifies God and leads others to trust in God is humiliating for us because it always exposes our weakness and inadequacy, always, or else we wouldn't need salvation. We wouldn't need God. And so there would be no song. There would be no story. So it appears to me that that may be what David is saying. Even in a position as king, I am prepared to tell people about the desperate straits I have been in. Because when I show my weakness, I show God's strength. And he says, I'm going to tell other people when God saves. I'm going to tell other people, especially in this text, those who are in the great congregation, those who are his fellow Jews, who will praise God with him and trust God as well. And the third thing is, when God saves, I'm ready for future problems. Look at verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For, notice this, evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, then I cannot see. There are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. You notice he's back in trouble? He's back in trouble because evils have encompassed me. And he even says in verse 12, my iniquities have overtaken me. Some of this is my fault. But he knows, look at verse 11 again. He knows, as for you, you will not restrain your mercy from me. He knows God is going to be faithful to him again and save him again. Why? Because he did it before. Because I already know this is what God does. I'm going to trust the Lord because the last time I trust the Lord, the Lord came through and blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He knows, so he is prepared for this new crisis. Verse 13, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord, Make haste to help me. Let those, who put to sh let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Do you remember back in verse 1? I said, I waited, waited for the Lord, and he heard my cry. Verse 13 is the cry. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Help me. I need you. Again, some of it's my fault. My transgressions encircle me. Some of it is evil people, verse 14 and 15, who are opposing me and who are trying to hurt me. Verse 16, he says, 
But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. So he is confident, verse 16, that other people are going to seek God and praise God and rejoice and be glad in God. And he is also confident that the Lord will hear me, verse 17, the Lord takes thought for me. He has me on his mind. I know my God and I know what he does. So I want, I'll wait on you, God, but I want you to help quickly. He says, do not delay, verse 17. So when we have experienced God's salvation in the past, what we learn here is that we're ready for the future, for what comes next. And it's important to remember this psalm teaches us that just because God has saved us at some point does not mean there will never be a problem again. Does not mean we won't get into bigger issues down the road. Remember, after the plagues came the Red Sea. After the Red Sea came all the problems in the desert. There were salvations there for sure. But salvations did not mean future problems went away. Instead, what they meant was God's people should know to trust him for those future problems. That we can be prepared because we know God and we know how to rely on God. We know how to cry on God, cry to God. We know how to wait on God. We know that we can trust him. So, the reason it's important for us to give thanks and praise God when he saves us, the reason it's important for us to tell others when he saves us is because that will prepare us for what's next. And it appears to me that very often we have a short memory about things like this. When God does something great for us, when God alleviates our pain, when God gets rid of a problem for us, when God pulls us out of the messes we make, or even if we're going to talk in the biggest terms, when God saves us from our sins by sending his son and completely changes our life and transforms us, we have a short memory about that. We tend to look back and say, oh yeah, I'd kind of forgotten that even happened. Oh, yeah, things were pretty dicey back then. Hmm. And we tend to forget just how bad things were and how great God's salvation was. So giving thanks and praising and telling other people helps prepare us so that when problems arise again, we know, I know what to do in this situation. I've been here before. I know how to trust God. So... My point this morning, what I really want to emphasize as we process this psalm, we're going to look at a couple other passages, is that God's salvation rewrites our story. That's what happens with David. He gave me a song, a new song, a song of praise, so that this event becomes the event in David's life. We each have our own story until there comes a moment when we realize I thought this was my story, but it's actually God's story. Where God is just adding another chapter to what he's done for people from the beginning of time. David learns that. David learns this was not my story. I thought it was, but it's actually a story praising God. But David's not the only one. I want to look at a couple of passages here. Let's go to Esther chapter 4 for a moment. Esther learns this. And I just want you to think about this in terms of the story and how the story changes with the salvation God gives. Esther 4, verse 13. Now, in the, this story, Esther is queen, and Mordecai learns about what Haman is doing to try to exterminate the Jews. And Mordecai appeals to Esther 
to use her position as queen to try to bring about the salvation of the people of Israel. Esther 4 and verse 13, it says, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, do you notice what happens there? Mordecai is opening her eyes to the possibility that there is something bigger in her story than she would have realized. And he's right. When you zoom out from the book of Esther, what you see is Esther and her position as queen were about God bringing deliverance for his people. That's what it's about. But if you had put a microphone in Esther's face, I know they didn't have microphones back then. If you had put a microphone in Esther's face and say, Esther, up to this point in your life, what's your story? She might talk about how she was an orphan who was raised by her uncle. She might talk about, you know, an amazing thing happened. I got to be queen of Persia. And she might whisper, I'm not even Persian. But she wouldn't know that there was a bigger overarching story until this moment. When it seems to me that Mordecai is saying, God may be using you and saving his people through you, a salvation that would rewrite her story. That's what God does. And when you talk about Esther, I think after this story, after this part of the story, and you put a microphone in her face, she would say, oh, now I see. God has done something great. God has provided salvation for his people. Now, she was a part of it in a unique way, but it rewrote her story. How much time do we have? All right, uh, so let's look in Genesis 50. Genesis 50. The reason I ask how much time we have is because there are a lot of stories that draw this out. But I have a few that I really want to focus in on. Joseph's story is similar. Joseph goes through all the hardship. His brothers sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He works his way up with some setbacks. He becomes second in the kingdom of Egypt. And yet there is always that that question about his family. He talks about when he names his children. One of them he names, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Another one he names, God has made me forget all my affliction. Okay, So he's still thinking about it. Then the famine comes and his brothers come down. Eventually he reveals himself to his brothers. His father and his brothers all come down. Genesis 50, though, is the account of what happens when their, their father dies. And his brothers are concerned about uh, how Joseph is going to treat them after their dad is gone. Joseph, uh, Joseph, Genesis 50. There is no book of Joseph that I know of. Genesis 50 and verse 15. Genesis 50, 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So they seek forgiveness, and Joseph reassures them. This is a beautiful passage, because this could have been a time 
And really, while I don't think it's right, can you blame him if he still had a grudge? If he still had some harsh things to say? But instead he says, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as it is this day. You know what Joseph sees? He sees God turn their evil into something good to provide food to keep people alive, including that family. He says, I see a blessing, I see salvation. And now I know that's what my story was about. God did something or allowed something. You did evil, God allowed it, and then God turned it into good and saved you in spite of yourself. So all I am is just a part of the story of God's salvation of his people. I think Joseph had taken some time to think through what had happened to him. This statement indicates to me he saw a much bigger purpose. He had a new song because he saw how God had saved through him. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is the last passage I want to look at. 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy 1 and verse 12, Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul talks about who he was before the salvation of God. He talks about I formerly was, verse 13, a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. If you had asked Paul, now before he became a Christian, if you had put a microphone in his face and say, Paul, tell us about you. What's your story? He would talk about maybe how he was a, a Jew from Tarsus, this far-flung place, far from Jerusalem, and yet he somehow made it into Jerusalem, got to the big city, studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee with all the passion in the world. And he would tell you about, you know, I'm here to do God's work. And then probably he must have thought he had a special gift to argue with and persecute the Christians. Maybe he even thought, you know, maybe God brought me here for just this purpose, that I am the one who's to be the ringleader of opposition against the Christians and to stamp out this movement. He might have thought God did this. He might have thought his story was about persecution. But something changed. He experienced, he talks about in verse 14, he experienced the grace and faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He experienced forgiveness. Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. He experienced God's salvation. And suddenly the story changes. And he realizes, oh, that's who I was and it wasn't a particularly good person. God gave Paul a song. And it's a song, he tells it everywhere. He tells it here to Timothy. All over the pages of the New Testament. He is not ashamed in the sense that he won't talk about it because when he says, God saved me, and he tells other people, then they end up praising God instead of praising him. His weakness shows God's power. So what about you and me? God's salvation rewrites our story. See, we experience God's salvation. Now, I do mean that in some senses we experience God's salvation in physical things that we deal with. Money problems, relationship issues, addictions, crises of various kinds in our family, employment. And we seek God and we pray and we wait, wait for the Lord. 
and we get what we were seeking. And that is a kind of salvation. And I don't want to denigrate that for a moment. But I want to focus on the idea of the salvation that we have received through Jesus. That when God has saved us, it changes our story. So I asked in the beginning, how do you tell your story? And there are different ways we do that, right? Different narratives that we take. And I'm suggesting that we think primarily of the way we have been saved from our sins and the direction our lives have taken since that moment. That that is the real story. The story of what did God do for me and how did it come about. That story is a rewritten version of the story we all know, our own story, by heart. So my song, if we were to call it that, he gave me a song. My song is not that I'm a member of my family or what football team I root for, what my hobbies are, what my job is. My song is that I was a sinner and now I'm not. I'm a child of God. My song is that my Lord sought me when I was stubborn and rebellious and brought me back. My song, like we've sung this morning, is that he took my burdens all away. Now I'm redeemed no more to die. That's who I am. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. That's who I am. So you might say, well, that's not really who you are. I mean, you're all these other things too. No, I'm saying that's the most important thing about who I am. My story has been rewritten where it's actually God's story. So praise God because he gave you and me a song. Thank you for your attention. We'll be dismissed for our classes.